Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 146. I'm your host, Evan Minto. And today, my guest is a good friend of mine who I have never had on the show before. Welcome to Lindsay Loveridge, Anime News Network's executive editor. Hey, Evan, thanks for uh, finally sending me an evite. Yeah, well, I think it's a good it's it's a good subject we've got today. Uh, the I think the probably the most talked about anime of this past season we're going to be reviewing decadence yeah that one kind of is kind of the highlight of the whole very small summer 2020 anime season so i'm excited to talk about it though so before we get into that you know we're gonna we're gonna do decadence we're gonna do a little q segment you recently started working as the executive editor of anime news network and uh you've been uh you've been putting out some cool stuff i know and connect is like the big recent thing that you've been running yeah uh I wouldn't say that 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 I'm running it so much as I've been. Uh, mm. I'm now like held hostage by it. It wasn't originally <laughs> my idea, but uh, I can't help myself. I keep coming up with stuff and pitching it, and it ends up working out. So the one we just did, and you can always watch all the the past A and N Connect se- uh, sessions on our Anime News Network's YouTube channel and over on our Facebook page as well, and we stream live on Twitch. But the most recent one we did was the fall trailer watch party with me, Jackie Jing, and Leo Rydell, and we watched every single trailer for the upcoming season. <laughs> Which it was fun. It was a little bit daunting because unlike last season, there's almost 40 shows this time around. So we watched all of them, and you know, just that does sound like being held captive. Yes, it was my idea though. I did it to myself, <laughs> so you know, I can't really can't really get get mad about that. And then we've got an upcoming one that will be on September 30th. We, we pushed it out a little bit because of the uh, the debate on Tuesday. But on September 30th, Mike Tool is going to be talking with the Retro Crush team who have all the, the classic stuff streaming over there. And then we also just had one with Chris McDonald and Right Stuff founder Sean Kleckner. And they just, you know, kind of shot the shit and went over what, what Right Stuff is up to as far as like all their Gundam releases and things like that. And that giant REM figure that they're trying to sell. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know yeah, it's, it's a life-size it's, figure of rem from ReZero. i don't think i know yeah I, I don't think i watched that one and i don't i don't know anything about this rem figure uh you have to know is, who is rem is no, though like she's kind of inescapable well, whether yeah you know you watch the show or not because there's so much merchandise of her so so here's what i have to ask though there's no ram what's her name ram the other yeah. one uh there's no figure of her no giant figure not at, in right stuff's warehouse no but she did get like one i think one to rem's like four or five variants that she has at this point she's kind of the forgotten sister unfortunately i know i it's that is like so fascinating to me i don't has anyone written an article maybe th- this is always bad whenever i ask has anyone written an article it's i'm gonna end up having to write gonna, it. i'm uh, gonna send you a dm when this is over and be like hey evan <laughs> so i heard you want to write why ram and not ram yeah. a defense exactly what is it like like just really i want someone and again it's gonna have to be me to like just really dig in and like you know draw up charts and analyze <laughs> like why was this one you don't really need to get any data involved i think it's pretty obvious based on their like personalities why one is appealing to the okay. otaku crowd over I, the other i've barely seen the show yeah, so maybe well. it's much simpler than i think it is it's just their designs are almost identical. yeah well they, so. they are identical <laughs> one's just got pinkish red hair and the other one has blue hair they're identical mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. twins right right. <laughs> they're literally twins aren't they like mirrored aren't, isn't their hair mirrored or something yeah like yeah so like one of them yeah. parts their hair on one side and the other one on the other yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Anon Connect is uh, it's cool. It's basically it, it seems like sort of a response to the the virtual convention yeah. thing. I don't know how much of it, uh, how much like of it is that, but that that's what it kind of seems like. It's like, well, now everything's virtual, so we're gonna have like these kind of regular, almost like panels at a con. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it, the virtual con scene was a really cool response to what ended up happening this year, and a lot of the companies that came out and did that. Uh, did a really good job. Connect is is sort of in a similar vein, although it's more like it's starting to feel like more to me like a sixty minutes sort of like once a week mm-hmm. sort of thing. I shouldn't say sixty minutes because I mean that's like hard hitting new stuff. But I mean it's just like a, a special <laughs> thing to tune into on a Wednesday each week or something like yeah. that. I'm I'm hoping we can keep doing it just into the future, like indefinitely. But we'll see. Yeah, that would be cool. I think that it's going to be cool to see which of these kind of virtual events stick around. I'd like for a lot of them to stick around because they're they're pretty cool, including not, not just Ann and Connect, but like virtual conventions. Yeah. We talked about that on the show before. Yeah. Did um I think my favorite one that I tuned in for was the Anaplex stuff that they did, like kind of with but also separate from Funimation at the same it was like that same weekend there were like three and Anaplex had some oh, programming yeah. that that they did. And I really liked it mostly because it, it came off like watching Japanese TV with you know, anime-focused guests and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, they had Japanese hosts interviewing or interacting mm, right, with right, Japanese right. talent, and so everyone just seemed way more at ease than what you usually get from an American con experience because your guests aren't having that fish-out-of-water feeling, you know? Um, everyone's kind of in their element, and then you, you throw subtitles on it. That's what I want to watch, I guess. So Yeah, AX, AX did that, too. I, I also find it kind of charming, but it's also... Uh, you get that thing where Japanese anime marketing is very, very buttoned up and you kind of, you know, the publishers have a lot of control over it. Yeah. So that's that's like a less cool, yeah. I guess, to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the fact that over here we've got a bit more independence and, and people will sometimes ask, you know, unexpected questions and things. Yeah, that's true. There was a pretty interesting one about um, just the business of making anime. And mm-hmm. one of the guys there, I mean, they had like they had the producers and then they had like uh more like the animation producers who were like the people working with the team versus the people working on on the marketing and there was this really yeah, yeah. uh uh sort of uncomfortable juxtaposition between the two of them because one of them was this lady who's talking about how you know they got the sound of the music for i think this was sword art online but i might be wrong but they got the the music sound but she got to like go to hungary so that they could record mm. the music like in this like uh old building and stuff and you could tell like the guys on the other side who were working with the animators who you know aren't being paid shit <laughs> and you're just and while this lady's talking about how she gets to go on all these different trips in with her work and I'm just like, oh, yeah. my God, this has got to be like someone's ready to kill the other one. I can tell <laughs> there was there was mm-hmm. definitely like it. I don't know if I'm projecting or not, but I definitely felt like this sort of animosity sort of sitting there compared to who was being very jovial and who just seemed not not happy. <laughs> yeah, that that is a distinction that I think gets lost sometimes at conventions. Yeah, uh, partially because uh, I, I think that. Sometimes the interviewers or the or the companies that are like bringing the bringing guests over to conventions like AX are either either they aren't just internally distinguishing between what you said, like animation producers and the sort of like um, the producers from the kind of marketing Mm -hmm. side, right, the business side. Uh, either they aren't distinguishing them or they are like not interested in distinguishing them because they want you to just kind of ooh and ah about the fact that they brought a producer to the convention. Right. 
but like very often the people that you're hearing from are people who have like no connection to the actual production they're just they are someone who is involved in marketing and getting the money for it and things like that yeah um yeah yeah it was like looking at two different worlds at once anyway let's let's get into the q segment Lindsay, what have you been up to all right so i've been kind of working through my backlog quite a bit as far as like live action television goes. So um, I didn't have an HBO Max subscription for a long time. And then a friend of mine was like, hey, you can use my login. I'm like, that's great. Because I already pay for like six or seven streaming services. And this was the one I mm-hmm. felt like I needed the least. But everyone keeps telling me the stuff on it is stuff I need to watch. So I finally got... It's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of good. And I, I hate to say that because I, I, I don't want to praise any of these new streaming services because yeah. there's too many of yes. them. And I want I just don't want this many. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I got it just through um, my parents' yeah. <laughs> HBO subscription. It's all right. It's all right. I, and, I share my yeah. Amazon Prime with my mom. So, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. it all goes around. You know, suck at Bezos. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. They got, you know, they, they have obviously they have the Ghibli movies. They have uh, all not all a lot of the like Showa era Godzilla movies. Oh, really? There, which I've been watching. Yeah, see, cool. I haven't delved very far into their catalog yet. I was just like, all right, let's see what Lovecraft Country is about. People mm. won't shut up about it. So I decided to to try that out and also Watchmen, which I guess like swept the Emmys or something. It got a bunch of awards like last week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay. A bunch of people told me I need to watch Watchmen. So I'll go ahead and do that. So I started watching Watchmen and I'm watching Lovecraft Country. And then in between that, um, I'm watching Lore on Amazon Prime, um, which is just, that's just. I don't know what that is. Oh, so that's like 100% my jam. It's, it's, it started as a podcast with Aaron Menke. And it's usually he picks like one subject and kind of follows this folklore subject and how it's um, kind of shown up in different places throughout history, like werewolves or uh, uh, like body snatchers, stuff like that. And so it's like historical, historical folklore stuff. And uh, anyway, I guess Amazon made a show on it that has a couple seasons that includes like historical reenactments. Uh, the first season I like a lot because it goes off into these non sequiturs. Like there's one that's about dolls and then it'll kind of go off into this one section about the lady uh, who made all the crime scene doll miniatures for the FBI to study before there was a lot of uh, forensic technology. So she, you would show them in. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Uh, she made like 50 of them. You can still see them. Um, so those are, you know, it would go off onto those sort of sections for for dolls. while like the main story is about this creepy doll that like people still visit the house that it lived in because like the owner of the house was obsessed with it and used to pose it and named it after it's himself and all anyway is it like documentary and reenactment yeah documentary reenactment mm-hmm. yeah but then the second season um kind of changed the the uh, format a bit to just focus on reenactment completely reenactment no narrator or anything uh uh i i was i figured when you were starting to describe it like that's what they would do because i just feel like that probably does better yeah unfortunately than like kind of drier documentary stuff even though for this kind of subject that sounds more interesting to me yeah documentary yeah so you can always just go on to spotify or something listen to the original podcast too if if the tv version doesn't really do anything but it's a it's a nice easing into halloween season type show the Mm -hmm. first uh episode of the second season is about um aaron burke I think who there's a whole like term murder term like based off of him, but it, it was around the corpse trade back when you could sell corpses to doctors and they would, you know, 
perform dissections and stuff in their theaters and students would come in to like learn about biology and things like that. That's how they used to do it. And they needed corpses for their, for their theater performances. And this guy decided, this guy decided instead of grave robbing, he just, you know, start murdering people and then selling their corpses for money. So anyway, in retrospect, the buying and selling corpses thing, not such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, they did eventually, you know, decide to cover that legal loophole. But I guess at that time period, um, uh, corpses weren't considered property because you're dead. So they don't belong mm-hmm, to anybody. Mm-hmm. So right, right. they would get you on trespassing if you tried to dig up corpses. But actually selling them and stealing them wasn't really a crime. Weird. Yep. So that's my anyway. Yeah, that's my gross factoid for, for your podcast today. <laughs> This is this is the Annie Gamers podcast. So you got any Annie? To talk yes, about? Um, I've been watching ReZero, the sequel one, which we were just talking about with Ram and Rem. That's one of the big mm-hmm, ones mm-hmm. that I'm watching other than Decadence. So I've been following that show since the first season premiered and it took them like four years to come out with the sequel. But God damn it, I, I just don't get enough of uh, Subaru's sad, sad torture time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never really kept up with it beyond I think I watched like uh well, for, it did have a long premiere. I just watched like the first episode. Yeah, the first episode was like first 45 season. minutes. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think it's it's a little too otaku for me. Maybe. Yeah. It's got a uh, I think what puts it over for me from just being like another light novel adaptation is uh, there's a lot of really sincere character growth in it. And like mm. they're not afraid of like Subaru is fucking nasty at some points like early on and he gets put in his place when in a lot of series i think they would um might even encourage some of the bad behaviors that he's partaking in early on because it's otaku yeah. media but you know it's it's nice to see uh, the main character get called out for you know thinking he is due some kind of romantic right yeah romantic uh prize that's just very, just because he decided <laughs> yeah just because he decided that the main girl is gonna be his waifu and um they kind of turn on that they're like no actually that's gross stop that right now <laughs> huh yeah that's i don't think i've heard heard a lot of people talk about that angle so that, that's pretty cool yeah there's a there's an episode in the first season where like he basically has a breakdown and starts yelling at emilia who's the main uh elf girl about how he's done like all this stuff hair. for her yeah. and and you know doesn't she at least owe him this and all these other sorts of things oh he's a nice guy yes oh, yeah no. he, he goes into full oh, nice no. guy rage at one point <laughs> and the series is like that's that's shitty no stop it <laughs> hmm. yeah cool yeah uh as for me uh i'm recording this like not long after we recorded the last episode so i i don't have uh, a metal gear update uh for for the last uh thing i talked about which was that was uh metal gear solid uh, ground zeros but i am playing i'm co- going back to playing into the breach which i started a while back when i bought it on the the eShop on switch and then just like other stuff came up and i never got back to it uh it's from the same devs as ftl which is one of my favorite probably one of my favorite games like ever uh, i don't know if you are familiar with i'm it. not and like but that. into the breach sounds familiar but i can't place that one either but the, they're both roguelikes or roguelites or whatever people oh, call them okay. now uh and like FTL is a almost like a Star Trek simulator, like something like a Star Trek where you're you're the captain of a spaceship and you kind of go through a bunch of random encounters and collect crew members. And then you are like it's like a top down thing where you're ordering them around the ship to like, you know, oh no, there's a there's a breach on this, you know, 
this part of the hull, like go send someone over there to fix it. And you're kind of managing all these resources and powering up and down different systems. Uh, it's really, really cool. Into the Breach is pretty different. Uh, it's still a roguelike, but it's uh, a turn-based strategy game with a very like very restricted map, at least early on. Uh, so like much smaller than something like a Fire Emblem map. Okay. Um, but similarly, uh, it has a similar kind of like uh, ev- just a everything's very tightly constrained and like 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 FTL, you kind of you have to be really really careful about you know if I put if I send this unit over here and they die, then like they're gone because it's 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 a roguelike, so it's sort of permadeath. Oh right? right right. So you have to be extra extra careful, or else you're you you'll die and have to restart your whole run from the beginning. Uh, so. It was a little tough at first. There's a there's a couple. It was just a little difficult to kind of like figure out the right moves to make, and that's kind of why I think I bounced off of it at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I'm starting starting to get the hang of it and getting into like a the the important thing of a roguelike, which is when I'm bad at them, which is a getting into a rhythm of like, all right, go through, try something, screw up, learn from it, and then start again instead of just being like, ugh, whatever, I give up. That that's the hard part for me with any kind of. Um, Man, I've gotten so lazy about gaming just in like, I hardly like to be challenged anymore. When I go mm-hmm, to play a mm-hmm. game, like, okay, I want something um, relaxing. I don't even mind if it's kind of tedious, as, but like, I'm like allergic to having to do the same thing over and over again. So, oh, yeah, then you would not like, no, Rogue probably Lights. not. No, <laughs> like, my, my husband I really mean, likes games like Slay the, the Spire and stuff like that. And I want those ones are more card based as well, but like, he'll, I'll watch those. I'm like, what is this? Just looks like it's hard on purpose. And I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, the, one of the things I like about this sort of modern, and I guess they're not technically roguelikes. People call them roguelites. Oh, okay. Because they, they don't fully follow the roguelike um, mechanics. But one of the things I like about them is, is there's more of these games that have, they have permadeath and you have to restart, but there's some level of progression mm-hmm. between the runs. Yeah. So that's what like uh, Dead Cells does, which is why I really liked that. So even if you screw up, you know, as long as you kind of make a bit of progress, you can sort of like toss some amount of the progression back to the beginning. And then you're like, okay, I start the next run a little bit stronger than the last run. Right, right. And for me, I'm not great at the game, but I can sort of slowly build up my, you know, stats or whatever. Or in the case of Dead Cells, you like you unlock new weapons that uh, are you don't actually automatically get them, but like they are part of the rotation, right? Uh-huh. So you've you've got more and more better weapons kind of in the rotation of of randomly spawning weapons. So that kind of stuff is like that kind of works for me. And I think Into the Breach has something kind of like that because you can you can send back one of your pilots, and and so you can like you can upgrade your pilots, and then you can. I didn't say anything about the setting of the game, but it's like sci-fi mechs time travel oh, thing okay. fighting like aliens yeah uh so you can send one of your mech pilots back in time so you can sort of preserve a little bit of like something that you you got in the last run so that 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 stuff is like what keeps me playing a, a difficult roguelike because i can kind of grind my way through it and get get better and kind of build stuff up yeah i'm bad at grinding too <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, um like i guess i guess i got spoiled on like turn-based jrpgs at a young age and like so if i'm gonna play anything where i've got to sink a lot of time into it it's those but i haven't played any of those like i started octopath traveler a million years ago and i still haven't finished oh, it i played the demo and that was that was pretty cool i just think i was like well do i have the time to sink into yeah a giant JRPG? exactly <laughs> yeah 
All right. Well, um, without spoiling too much, uh, this conversation about grinding in video games might become relevant. It is our, actually, uh, isn't it? Our, <laughs> our upcoming review. Uh, so we are going to review Decadence. What is it? Decadence is a 2020 anime TV series created by <sighs> Studio Nut. You know, they did that which, on purpose, right? Like they so knew it was good. funny and they did it on purpose. We have them. Wait, is that true? Yeah, we've got it on record in the interview. Oh. Oh, that's that's great. Okay, cool. <laughs> like they're in on that joke. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and directed by Yuzuru Tachikawa, the director of most notably these days Mob Psycho 100, but also Death Parade. Dude, I'm a those are both big like, fan of both of Yes, those. they're just excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it literally finished airing last week. It so did. Yeah. Finally, the Annie Gamers podcast doing a very topical review. Right. Like before we even start, I want to say I put Mob Psycho 102 as like my best anime of the decade. So oh, wow. I did. I, I don't have it's perfect everyone should watch it all the, like repeatedly it's just amazing on like a technical and narrative level oh, yeah 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 i'm uh i think i'm like more into the technical side of that show i i like the show overall but i mean uh yeah from a technical perspective mob psycho 100 all the way through seasons one and two looks better than almost anything this decade yeah it's beautiful in tv yeah definitely or this past decade yeah, yeah. so uh yeah, it's uh well, well we'll talk about what it's about, but I want to I want to note before we really dig into it that this is a show that is very difficult to talk about without spoilers yeah. and longtime listeners will know that I usually try to split reviews so that we have a section with no spoilers and that's most of the review and then at the end we do a little spoiler section. We're going to do the opposite here. We're going to have a little no spoiler section and then the rest of the review will be with spoilers because there's really no way to do it yeah. without spoiling the show. Yeah, because I mean, like the first big change up drops at like the second episode, right? Or is it the end of the first? Yep, yep. So uh, kind of end of the first into the second. So you, yeah, you can't talk about the rest of the story without revealing that. So we will describe I'll start by describing the plot as of episode one uh, and then and then we will talk yeah. about what happens after that. Sure. Uh, so the moving fortress decadence, the the title of the show, is uh, the last bastion of humanity. They, it's 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 a, as I said in the first episode where I mentioned this, uh, it is a, it is a Howl's moving castle. Uh, it's it's roaming around the the what's left of the earth, uh, and the humans inside have to fight off these monsters called Gadol. Kind of a strange name. Yeah. Um, Especially like just feels weird to try to like say in English yeah, pronunciation. You, you would think from the name like you end up picturing like evil marionettes or something like that. I know, yeah. But they don't look like that at all. They they look no, like sort monsters. Of lizardy yeah. monster things. Magic yeah. monster things. Uh, the humans use these kind of like anti-gravity fields that are generated by the Gadol, uh, which I, I think we can talk about this makes makes the combat look very kind of Attack on Titan-esque. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and they harvest the blood of the the Gadol as fuel to to fuel the the decadence fortress. Our main character is Natsume, who is a teenage girl who uh, lost her arm in a Gadol attack and has like a like a pretty cool looking robot arm, like prosthetic arm. Yeah. Uh, and she dreams of fighting them, but like because of her prosthetic arm, they won't let her into the the kind of military uh, unit to to fight the Gadol. So then she ends up getting a, a pretty pretty bad job. Uh, uh, just cleaning the side of the deck. Yeah, basically scraping monster muck off the sides. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but her new boss, uh, his name is Kabu, is super surly, but turns out, you know, he's got a, got a bit of a secret and he knows how to fight the Gadol and she kind of ends up learning how to um, how to fight them. And, and you know, it's about her her growing into a stronger person. 
at least that's what episode one is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you finish up episode one and you're thinking, okay, you know, this is, this is her surrogate dad and they're going to bond mm-hmm. and he's going to, you know, teach her how to fight and they're going to go fight Gaddle together at some point and maybe defeat that ultimate Gaddle and bring peace to humanity. That's what you think. Yeah, some of that might end up being the case. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with a, a large helping of something else that is revealed later. Yeah. Uh, so before we talk about that, let's just kind of give a little bit of something, a little bit of meat for the the people who maybe haven't checked the show out yet, uh, who you know might want to might want to give it a try based on our recommendation or not. So in general, uh, having seen the whole show now and, you know, not just working off of those kind of like pretty notable first few episodes, uh, what, what's your like general thought about Decadence? Oh, I think it's great. Um, it, it was it's definitely my favorite show from the season, and it could very easily be probably one of my top five of the year, depending on how, you know, fall pans out. Uh, I think Natsume is just a great character. I think she has a I think she, for sure. I think she yeah. has a lot of depth beyond just being like the spunky fighter type who you know just wants to because she kind of has the makings of a typical shonen hero right like she Mm -hmm. everyone tells her she can't do it but she's determined to and she's going to get out there and fight because she believes in herself sort of thing but she's got more layers than that especially when you kind of get to her psychology around her prosthetic and how the people around her treat her um and how things start playing out with the reveals too. I th- so I think she's like a generally like a, a really, really good character. Um, I th- wish she would have been centered a little more because it does become. I totally agree. Yeah. A, a little bit too much a, of the Kabu show post reveal, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know that he's as interesting as Natsume internally. Nope. Like, you know, he's, yeah, you know, grizzled dad type. He's uh, overly competent at fighting and and sort of working the the system, you know, to try and uh, accomplish his goals. But uh, I I was more in it for Natsume than Kabu. I think that's generally the opinion I've heard from people, and I, I agree. Natsume is just in general, outside of I think being a little bit better developed, uh, you know, like you were saying, kind of the way that she interacts with people. Uh, the thing that's notable to me, which is not a spoiler, is like her. Um, the, her interactions with her kind of like uh, childhood friend. Yeah, May. I think her who, name's May. Yeah, who sort of sort of like gets sidelined, but that's kind of part of the point is that she's got this, she's kind of like drifting apart from her in terms of their worldview. Yeah. Uh, and and like that, that, that thing is kind of interesting. It's not quite the way that like a, a typical shonen protagonist would do it. Yeah. Uh, that's like all much more interesting. Yeah, than what, it sets up Kabu like, doing. <laughs> it sets up uh, these, they're sort of, you can understand her friend's point of view, even if you don't agree mm-hmm, with it. Mm-hmm. And you can understand Natsume's point of view as well, because just within the world we've already talked about, like, you know, Natsume wanting to fight the monsters, but May wants to, she wants to pr- survive. She, May wants to survive, but she also yeah. wants to protect her friend. So in May's view, the best thing to do is to keep your head down, to pick something that's not too dangerous, you know, to work hard and find satisfaction in a normal life. And just to survive that way, given their circumstances. And she doesn't understand why Natsume feels like she has to risk things to go out on a a limb for her own self-satisfaction. And they start kind of uh, bristling against each other because she views, because Natsume's insistence on change 
makes May feel like her adherence to the status quo is wrong. So that makes her question like how she's choosing to live her life. She feels judged, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, I mean, you can extrapolate that out to, to the real world as well, how some people might feel by their association with a certain thing that they're bad because other yeah, people yeah. think the thing they're associated with is bad. And uh, then how they get defensive uh, as a reaction to that. So, yeah, I thought that that interaction was much more interesting. And like I said, like Natsume's uh, response to her prosthetic and ha- being viewed as uh, handicapped and the mm-hmm. anger she has around that and how that drives her need to prove herself. I think all of that is much, much more interesting than anything that Kabu's got going on. <laughs> so... To, to oversimplify, because I, I I feel like I remember someone saying this about like Gundam many years ago, okay. like so, someone said, like, uh, in the original Gundam, it's like Amuro is a shonen protagonist and Shar is a seinen protagonist. OK, uh, that, that feels very accurate to this, where it is like to some degree, Natsume is uh, like you said, she's a little different, but she is like in a lot of ways, kind of a, a shonen protagonist, uh-huh. right? This like young person looking to prove herself. And Kabu is like a seinen protagonist. He's like tired yes and he has a, a past he's already established you could just change right? his name to like, like salaryman <laughs> kabu and yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and they are they do effectively become like dual protagonists so it's not just that he's a, a father figure yeah uh i will say overall i liked the show a lot at first and it, it's especially after the twist mm-hmm. uh, mostly after the the sort of twist thing it's uh it introduces a lot of really interesting ideas and maybe this is just because I kind of got my hopes up, but I felt like it did not explore most of the things I was hoping it would explore mm-hmm. uh, in in terms of like the world building. Uh, and I, I, I agree with that. Like, I like some of the characterization, but uh, it felt it didn't feel like it put enough emphasis into those uh, into like the characterization to really like hook me with those. And I kept being like, well, what about all this like world building stuff yeah. that you're setting up? And it yeah, sort of flubbed that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. The. I know that um, Christopher Ferris did our episode reviews over on Anime News Network for this show, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of political uh, mm-hmm. political view uh, woven into the world building and you know the entire show itself. I think, but I know that he was critical in the landing at the end quite a bit too. Yeah, that it yeah. it didn't um, it didn't quite stick the knife all the way in. Uh, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. it yep. went about. Yep. It went about. It did like a half stab at, at capitalism, mm-hmm. but it didn't. It didn't really. I, I can't say for sure whether that is a result of the writing or if that is the result of the system of which the series was made. Because even though this is an original show, there's a production committee. This wasn't made without a production mm-hmm. committee. Um, it was still, you know, made in a, in a Japanese corporate setting. So how th- does that mean that they lessened it to get money so that it could exist at all? Um, is this the full, the, f- the full thesis that it was originally designed right, right. to be made under? Or is it compromised? Um, I feel like it's probably more likely that it's compromised. And that's based on yep. the interviews that we've done with the staff over at AMA News Network, because they were pretty frank about about their thoughts. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So I think I think we should move into spoilers. Yeah, we have to move into spoilers very, to talk about close. that. Yeah, to really yeah. talk about that. We're getting very close to spoiling things. So uh, now if you're if you want to watch this without spoilers, go ahead and watch it and, and tune us out and come back later. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody else. Welcome. Welcome to the spoiler. Welcome to post hour here. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, the twist here, uh, for those of you who have not seen it, is in episode two, it is revealed that the world that, uh, uh, I believe it's like the the beginning of episode two, isn't it? Just like the, the kind of cold open of it is uh, the, the world that Decadence is in. It is the Earth, mm-hmm. but it is a game that is being played by a bunch of cyborgs <laughs> yes. who log in as these humanoid avatars to fight Gadol. And effectively... They don't actually say this directly, but, you know, if you know the sort of language of games, this is very obvious. The humans are living NPCs. Yes. Yeah. That threw me off at first because when when they first did the the reveal, I wasn't sure if the humans were physically real or if Natsume was like sentient code NPC. So it was like, maybe she's, Uh, that's where I was at first with it. I wasn't sure. It was like, oh, is she like, you know, a a ghost in the machine here? It's some code that's gone rogue. And so she's, uh, you know, sentient, even though she's not physically real, she lives in software or something. That's what it, uh, but then they, they made it gradually more clear as, as time went that um, like, the human the human avatars biologically exist but are manufactured and there's like chips in them and that's how they log in and, and control these physical avatars but among them are real living breathing humans too who have no fucking well, idea and the humans have chips but the chips i guess don't allow them to be controlled they they just allow them to be tracked yes right? i guess so yeah yes and i it, think the chip like is really supposed to be in out, their but... arm i think and that's why natsume mm isn't uh is presumed dead is because she lost the arm i think that her chip was in and so has been well, living without I, I a chip I, the whole time I, think I missed that i missed that and like that makes a lot of sense except for the fact that um now that i think about it like well wouldn't would she the only person who ever lost an arm and lived in this world or or is it that usually they get the chip replaced or something if they lose an arm yeah i really have no idea she i think she's the only care like human character we ever see with a prosthetic but and yeah. I guess I would also say that the human population seems like it is pretty dang small. So yeah, it's yeah. quite possible. Yeah. Or what's more likely is that um, perhaps other ones who ha- who don't have chips have been like covertly killed because that's what happened to her dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So c- because this is another thing that gets revealed is that uh, this is, I think, the big character twist here mm-hmm. is that Kabu, while he uh, just looks like a regular human is actually a a cyborg player of the game who has been uh, relegated to this shit job of cleaning the side of decadence as punishment for uh, for breaking the game rules. So he is not actually a human like uh, like Natsume is. But I guess, yeah, like I was saying with the chips, I mean, he he looks like a human. So I don't know if there's like a distinction physically between. I thought the cleaning thing was a cover because he was also a bug collector, right? So like. When he wasn't around Natsume, he was supposed to be cleaning. He was supposed to be taking care of bugs. Yeah, I guess I I also understood it though as the the his job cleaning bug or yeah of like killing mm-hmm. bugs, which is basically like humans or or also uh, Gadol that have like kind of gone rogue or are not being correctly controlled by the system. Yeah, uh, I, it was all basically like a punishment, right, for his for his having broken the rules. Like I guess, I guess like so. Cause he was player. supposed to, he was supposed to have been like this top tier player before. Mm-hmm. And then now he's not. And yeah, he's cleaning the side of the ship and also like covertly, like um, killing humans slash 
taking avatars offline that aren't working properly. And those that's how he figures out that Natsume is a bug in the first place, because he's got access to like some sort of um, interface where they tell him who he's supposed to go take care of or whatever. And I think he tries to, it's very early in the series. That's probably why I don't remember it very clearly when he discovers that she's a quote unquote bug. So, um, but he likes her tenacity. So he, and he's, he's shown as sort of having a soft spot anyway, because he's been keeping this pipe, that little gadol <laughs> pet. He's, he was supposed to like wipe that one out, but it's cute. So he kept it in his, in his MP, his, uh, virtual house. It's not virtual, but you know what I mean? Like his in-game house and would take care of it there instead of killing it. So he's always had like a soft spot. Yeah, I think that's spot. a nice, that's a nice touch because it, it doesn't like no one directly remarks on it, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the fact that that is part of his like his personality, uh, but it just makes it easier to buy that he would like break the rules of the system for humans who are basically seen to be they're They're seen like NPCs, like no one has any sympathy for them. Right. So it's like, well, why would this guy want to like help this human? It's like, well, he's yeah, he's, he's got a soft spot. He also helped this little get all one time. Yeah. Yeah. Gave it a weird name. Well, I got I mean. She gave the gadol. Does she right? call it pipe because it's like a smoking pipe because it's got like a a whale thing in the top of it that air comes out of? Is that why it's maybe? Named that? I don't remember why she calls it pipe, but she definitely gives it a yeah. yeah. She gives it a name. He he never gave it a name, which that's like a trope, seems, isn't it? Like guy who has pet yeah, who yeah. never names it. I think that's also though maybe a little bit of like uh, the a little bit of what I wish this show did more of, which is like. He's playing a game, right? So it's like maybe he just forgets to give it a name, right? Because it's like not totally real to him. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But I do wish that this is something that will maybe come up a a few times here. Like uh, in stuff like this where it's uh, someone, you know, a story in a video game. Yeah. This is kind of like an inverted version of like the the trapped in a video game genre. Yeah. Uh, I always want them to play more with the fact that like this world isn't real or at least is perceived as not real or experienced as not real by the players, right? In this case, it is real. The humans are are physical living humans. But for the cyborgs that log in and play it, it's effectively not real, right? Like their bodies aren't real. They could just die and then they wake back up outside yeah. of the game. Yeah. And there's only a few times where it really like plays with that in a way that that I think is interesting. We can kind of extrapolate that from the from the society with within the game itself, because you have um, a lot of the cyborg players. The humans think they're like another race because they have because they because ha- mm. they have uh, um, skins and stuff like. Oh, that's that scene is so good. The where personalization they walk, they walk like options and stuff. Uh. They're able to use all those that regular humans aren't so they can be blue and have funky hair and stuff. And the humans are just like, <laughs> oh, they're a different race. And really, it's just like someone with a lot of uh, what do they call that in a game? Like, uh, oh, cosmetic. Yeah, upgrades. just yeah, yeah, just cosmetic upgrades and stuff like, oh, they- there's, there's a scene where, where Kabu brings Natsume to the, the central area. They're called the gears, the the like cyborg players. Yeah. And uh, the like he takes her to the sort of hub, which the humans aren't allowed into. Mm-hmm. And she's like, whoa, what is all this stuff? What's a skin? And he's like, pay no attention to that. Just keep walking. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you see those players, uh, you know, going into the Gadol fights, which are these man- manufactured monster attacks. Because there's just a giant lab that just like releases monsters onto Earth so that they have. Yeah, some- they're, they're raids. basically. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, humans are dying in these in these raids and the other humans are having like actual burials for them and everything because it's sad, but they just sort of log out. And I think I'm pretty sure all the players, all the cyborg players know that the humans are real. I don't think they have this yeah. perception that they're 
I mean, they know that they're all real physical beings, but they don't give a shit because it doesn't pertain to them. It's entertainment. Yeah, they effectively experience them as not being real, right. even though like they know they're real. But it's like, well, what's the big deal? It's just they're they're just NPCs in the game. Right. Yeah. So it's it's this like disassociation to the point, like, again, it seems like something you could really uh, sort of tap into as a parable for certain things in the real world. Oh, yeah, for sure. Of like exploitation, right? <laughs> once you once you have it, once you obtain a certain amount of physical distance from other mm-hmm. people's problems, because you have to think that the the uh, cyborgs, they're living in a spaceship. Most of the cyborgs aren't having any like actual physical contact with humans at all. The only time they see them is when they log yeah, into it, a video game. And it's they, Avatar, yeah, actually. Yeah. It's literally like the movie Avatar. Yes, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Popular film, I've heard. So, yeah. yeah um, they've obtained this complete physical distance from the quote-unquote NPCs, and so the plights of them don't register to them anymore because it's because there's no physical proximity at all. You, if you don't log into the game, it doesn't even exist to them, right? Right. So uh, we haven't talked about what these cyborgs look like, which is also uh, you know <laughs> the visual side of the twist, which I love. Yes. This is the thing that for me really like was so interesting. Is there? They're all drawn in this uh, like kind of um, exaggerated coloring scheme, mm-hmm. you know, very bright colors there. And they, they look like and this is intentional. This is not me editorializing. They have said this in interviews. They look like minions yeah. from Despicable Me. Yeah, uh, that they, they actually are very rounded, like ra- lots of round shapes. Um, well, I guess there's some the squares. The line thickness is, is totally different. Yeah. Right? They're all drawn with these thicker lines. I think uh, the director, Tachikawa, mentioned in an interview that they deliberately um, they tried to make the, the cyborgs drawn with just rounder shapes in general. And then the humans are drawn with more angular shapes. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, they certainly succeeded at making these two worlds look different. Yeah, they, they look like they totally look different, like shows. different shows. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, like just if you look at Kabu, for instance, his he's based on a uh, oh god, what's the word? That mask that um, well, he's based on a welding mask. So he's got that. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yep. So he's got that uh, that sort of rust color, and then there's like a window in the middle where your eyes would be if you were wearing the mask. That's like a light blue, and his eyes are in there. But you know, and then he's just got little stumpy legs and little stumpy arms, and that's Kabu, and then. You know, you've got some of them have like are a little more complicated, like the guy who vapes um, his uh, his cyborg version is a little more in line with like something that my uh, Apple would put out. You know, he's like white and he's got hinge joints and stuff. Yeah. So he's got a little he looks almost like. um well, actually, Tachikawa mentioned that there's a lot of influence from like Pixar movies and things. Yeah. And he almost looks like. um this is like the commander, right? I'm forgetting his yeah, name. Yeah, from Wally like, is uh, what you're thinking of, though, right? That kind of, I was gonna say Eve. He looks like Eve from Wally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he kind of looks like Eve from Wally. The one that um, cracks me up every time I look at it, though, is uh, the the main bad guy, um, mm. Moonin. Yeah, I think his name yeah, is, is Moonin. His... Well, it's yeah. him, and he has a crow, and they're both named after the crows from Norse mythology that belong to Odin. And so I might be mixing mm. them up. So Moonin is either the crow, and the cyborg is the other name, or I'm right, and it's Moonin. But he's just like a wall, <laughs> like yeah. with arms and legs, and then his head and neck just like jut out the middle. But then he's got those studio trigger sunglasses. Yeah, he does. He's got yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he a looks big like purple I, nose. I, I think there was a. I think Tachikawa might have mentioned that there's like a reference from um, 
like a French film or something. But uh-huh. but the thing that that sticks out to me is he looks kind of like like his silhouette looks like the kingpin from uh, from Into, uh, Into the Spider Verse. The way he's just a big black rectangle. Oh yeah, yeah. Because because the kingpin kind of got rendered as like just shoulders with arms yeah, and yeah. then like the really small bald head. Yeah. It's kind of the same mm. sort of proportions as that. And um, is he voiced by... Uh, I am not a voice actor person, but he did sound like a voice that I would have potentially... He's not... I'm not a voice actor person either, but um, this particular voice actor like is very distinctive to me. So I, I tend to notice who he is. Let me find... Nope, maybe I, nope I was wrong. It's Takahiro Koyasu. I thought it was going to be okay. the same guy from Zombieland Saga. Only doing it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mamoru Miyano. Yeah, I was thinking it was Mamoru Miyano. He's got a he's got a very like distinctive voice for uh for a villain too. But um yeah yeah. What what would you say is the real villain of Decadence, Evan? The real villain is the system, yeah. as they keep calling it. Yeah. Uh, which is capitalism. Yeah, I think Tachikawa has said it's it's supposed to be about kind of. Uh, Western style corporatocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know he didn't say the the c word, but it sounds like he's talking about capitalism, right? Yeah, and I, people might get on us. They've definitely got on people on A and N for like attributing that, but as like us interpreting Western values into it. And to that, I say, do you mm-hmm. know nothing about Japanese work culture? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of Japanese people who would see traditional Japanese work culture as uh, an abusive system. <laughs> so I don't think it's particularly yeah. a Western interpretation to like look at this show and say yeah capitalism's the bad guy but- right i would say though in as an anti-capitalist just in fairness mm-hmm. uh, in his reddit ama he did distinguish and say like i wanted to make it different from a japanese style company oh really just, yeah so that i'm not sure what he means by that exactly mm-hmm. uh but he was he said he specifically was like aiming to make it about sort of western corporate giants and he has talked repeatedly about how the idea and this doesn't really show up directly in the show is that all of the cyborgs are created by different corporations and they like serve some function within that like you know future corporation oh, so he okay. said like well some of them might be made by a company like amazon yeah and then other ones might be made by a company like google yeah so it's definitely supposed to be this sort of like this hyper I would say it's it's maybe it's Western capitalism from his perspective, right? But it's like this kind of capitalist future where humans have become obsolete, but production goes on, right? Right, and, right. and the cyborgs just continue doing the production. Right. You remember? Do you remember what what the what the saying is every time they like leave? Like I remember, like Kabu would like walk out of the little area, and there's sort of a a central hub where all the little cyborgs are walking around and stuff. And I think it have a profitable day was like oh, the right, catchphrase right, right. for, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, God, uh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the, the villain here is sort of the system. Uh, it's Hoogan. I just remembered is the, the guy you're thinking of. Yeah. Hoogan and Moomin, I think are their names. He acts as kind of, kind of the heavy for most of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really the, the, the villain is supposed to be the, the system itself, which is, oppressing both the cyborgs and the humans yeah uh, this again is something i wish was kind of a, like um more explored on especially on the cyborg side like it makes sense on the human side the humans are being beset by monsters for sport right, right? so that doesn't need much more kind of exploring yeah. about why that's exploitative uh but we don't really get a glimpse into what like cyborg society looks like and how exploitative maybe their daily lives are we only see what happens to the people who stick out. And right. Kind of That's true. Yeah. And get sent to like a prison camp. Yeah. I mean, so you have to think about like 
the the game itself is sort of this bells and whistles distraction that's supposed to try and keep the cyborgs complacent so that they continue to abide by the system. So this is, you know, like government sponsored entertainment. It's like um, the Colosseum right, right. in ancient Rome, right? It is. It, it is, is yeah. the Colosseum of ancient Rome. So uh, I, I guess you can only go as the show only goes as far, like you said, as showing you what happens to those who don't abide by the system, which in this case means you shovel shit and are injected with the shit that you shoveled so that you can continue to shovel shit to power the thing that injects you with shit. Right. And I'm not like, I'm not even being like, it's literally shit. That's literally it, shit. It's literally yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> those scenes I like from my, you know, in terms of my kind of political read, I like those because those are the ones that really start to approach. Uh, like they, they, they have kind of this, similarity with kind of anti-capitalist yeah. storytelling. Yeah. There's even a scene where they they're, you know, they they enact a rebellion and they're like doing chants and things, which is like a, you know, something that happens at like protests yeah. and strikes and things. And like that felt like, oh, okay, this is I see what you're doing. They're, they're they are like the oppressed working class fighting back. You know, they have to shovel shit. They 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 also the the thing about eating the shit that you shovel is kind of like a uh feels like pretty explicitly you know, uh, maybe not, maybe not intentionally, but it's speaking to the same sort of things that like animate a lot of anti-capitalist sentiment. The idea yeah. that the workers are doing the work, but then what they get in exchange for it is just like more shit. Right. Yeah. And I think they, they played with a couple of the typical tropes for these, because a lot of these sort of stories, you know, where a character gets put in a really awful environment as punishment uh, they'll, they'll like double down and try to get like work the system for their own benefit to get out sooner. And Kabu tries that. He's like, oh, well, I'm just going to put my nose to the grindstone and basically be mm -hmm. the perfect prisoner. And then they'll let me out sooner and I can go back to Natsume. And they're like, ah, oh, that's funny. No, you're going to die here. Um, it doesn't matter. Like no one gets out. And so it was kind of nice to see them not go that direction, which seemed like the really obvious narrative choice. And instead, he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, then we're gonna just we're just gonna blow this whole thing up. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna yeah, we're, and, gonna, and we're gonna we're gonna deny our labor. Yeah, we're gonna um, fill this place up with shit and uh, make a bomb. They make a bomb, don't they? And then yeah, yeah, because they they discover that the the manufacturing part that makes all of the monsters is directly is it directly above them or directly below them this is this is one of the parts that confused me about the the geography of the world i believe it's above them but like i was just kind of unclear about okay if they're in the spaceship then how do they get underground like where where yeah i don't think they're world? literally <laughs> yeah. underground i think it's probably better to but the gadol factory is on the earth in the near the end like natsume goes to the factory with Oh, Kabu. oh, right. Yeah. He takes her there, doesn't he? Yeah. And it's like in a lake or something, right? Yeah. Right. Because because all the cyborgs are in their avatars when they're hanging out in the lab, too. Like you don't see them in their cyborg yeah, form. Right, they're right, in right. avatar form while they're working there. Okay. So then so then they must have been beneath that. But then how did they get there? Maybe there's a series <laughs> yeah, of I tubes. Know. It's, it's a little confusing. <laughs> series of tubes. Um there is. Yeah, there that's how they connect to the game. They they travel across the information superhighway. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't I need a map. 
I think we need a map. Maybe if we buy like the decadent settings collection book, they'll have a map in it or something. I think, I think in general, this is like one of my issues with the show is just that this world, when they reveal it in episode two, it is it, you know, my mind was just racing. I'm like, oh, man, what what does this mean? Like we talked about this earlier. Are the humans even real? Right. Yeah. And then you go another layer and you're like, are the cyborgs real? Like I haven't seen either of them in the same room together. Right. Are, are right. any of them virtual or any of them real? Uh, who is running this, right? Yeah. Like there's there's all these different questions. Uh, what was the history that led to this, right? I would be interested to see whatever the transition to this, yeah. this world looks like. Uh, and it just feels like 12 episodes is not quite enough for them to explore all of these avenues. Yeah, so I guess I guess in the end, I don't... All I know is that the, the shit shoveling jail and the decadence lab are connected because that was definitely a major thing that they were going to do. And they... But it like ends up not working out. He starts like hopping avatars around too. Like they make like an impromptu like lot like login within the prison so that he can like <laughs> yeah, take yeah, possession yeah. of another avatar and and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. So I loved that. That's a great like that's what I wanted more of, right? Yeah. The, the sort of playing with the artifice of the game. Yeah. Because it's like you know he there's a great couple scenes where he meets Natsume in this this like temporary avatar that they create for him mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, it's it, like she doesn't know it's him, but he knows, right? Yeah. And I believe he, uh, there's a scene, yeah, there's a scene where he dies. Yeah. And she's grieving him. And then he shows back up with a different avatar and she's like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like one of the last couple episodes where he's like, sorry, like my other avatar got stabbed. So here I am <laughs> in my backup right here. That stuff. I love that stuff. That's there's a scene with Donatello where he like sacrifices himself in the last episode and everyone's crying and then he just logs back out and they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. I forgot that he's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm trying to remember because there's a part where they go to the Avatar like holding factory. Are we mixing Mm -hmm. that up with the Gadol factory? Which one did he take? The Avatar Avatar factory is inside Decadence, I think, because that's how like the they store the Avatar between logins. And then like boot them back up. It's like, did no one ever go into his house when he was supposedly asleep and he like wasn't there and you couldn't wake him sort of situation. I thought about that a little bit, too. Like when when Kabu would log out, like, you know, he'd go into his little trailer and, you know, log out for the night. Like no one ever like just like knock. None of the humans ever like knocked on his door and be like, hey. And then he's not there and won't I, wake up. Well, I assume, yeah, I would assume that that his avatar isn't stored, actually. So now that I think about it, it's probably that the, I think they mentioned the storage is for like old avatars okay. or something like that. Yeah, because like I think they put him in it once he's, you know, he's in jail. So it's like they're recalling his avatar, you know, like, no, right. you don't get to play anymore. You're grounded. But I would assume he's, I would assume it's just like a simulated human body when he's logged out. So he's just like asleep. And yeah, I guess nobody would be able to wake him up. Right. Maybe he'd get a notification. Someone is trying to wake you up in the oh, game. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because <laughs> most of them, I think, can probably log in within their own homes, right? So like you get a little... Right. Because they said they don't die. The the cyborgs, mm-hmm. like they don't die and they don't need sleep. I remember him saying he doesn't need sleep, actually. So he could just be, you know, doing whatever cyborg shit he's doing. And that that would make sense. OK. Yeah. Plot if, hole if avoided. Me, I, I, it would be like every other notification where I get it. And then I'm like, you know, it's hours later. And I'm like, oh, right. I didn't. Someone was trying to wake me up four hours ago and I forgot to open the notification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I think like as a whole, like decadence definitely uh it presents a lot of questions. And I think it it as far as a critique of like this particular economic system and its effects on on people, I, I think there's still like enough meat there to consider it mostly a success. But the ending is a little like happy go lucky for uh, me. Yeah, I was gonna talk about that. The ending is what makes me sour more on it. I think I'm definitely like less positive on it than than you are. Yeah. Because uh, I was really like, you know, I was having a lot of these feelings throughout the show, but I was like, well, you know, maybe the ending will sort of like really put a, you know, really stick the knife in, as as you said. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so I was kind of holding out for that. But it it really doesn't the, the conflict with the system doesn't come to a head, which is what I sort of expected. It seems like it's kind of leading up to this revolutionary thing. One of the most exciting parts of the lead up to the ending is that we finally do see the humans and the cyborgs together. The cyborgs escape from the prison, the the bugs, the ones who are like in prison. Mm -hmm. They escape and they meet up with Natsume. And she kind of has these great scenes where she's like getting used to them, right? right. She's, she's like, oh, oh, you're so cute, right? And they're like, what? We're cute? Yeah. Right? Because like they, they don't know it. That they haven't considered how they might look to a human. They've never met a human. Right, right. Uh, that stuff is is great. And I think it does sort of like, again, from my political perspective, I'm like, well, this is starting to feel like we're building up to this kind of like solidarity. Yeah. Right? Where these the two sides of the system, these two different like kinds of workers are realizing their shared quote unquote humanity and like who is oppressing both of them. And it's like, oh, this seems interesting. Like maybe we'll have a sort of shared human cyborg revolt yeah, as like the like, final climax yeah, or something. Yeah, burn everything down or something. But it ends up being, this is the most frustrating thing about it. The The final conflict is just another in-game conflict. It's that yeah. they have to defeat a giant bugged out Gadol. And it just feels like it misses the the point. It, it of like does. What I felt too. like the whole show is building up to that particular Gadol, like didn't really have any consequence at all prior. Like it's it's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the sad little seahorse looking thing that's been abused within the lab as a sort of like reject pet or something. It's sort of like a pipe situation, but like they're not nice right. to it. They just like torture it and shit, and then it. Um, I don't know, I guess as part of an evolutionary thing, it, it was able to develop, I, I don't know if it like lays eggs in him or something. It basically like when everything's going to shit, it uses the last of its power to like bite one of the guys with this sort of like long tongue thing that's got teeth on the end of it. And I'm like, oh, maybe it poisoned him. That's what I thought initially that it was maybe venomous. Um, but then he like gets really sick and then a new one like bursts out of his chest, <laughs> kind of like that seems like it's got to be just an alien. Yeah, they're like, how, right? you know, like Tachikawa has mentioned in an interview that he's like a big fan of Terminator 2. Yeah. So I imagine he's he's probably got some other like, you know, American film references that he's a fan of. Yeah, yeah, that's quite possible. So so it like does that and then it just starts eating um, like the cyborgs and stuff and using that to increase in size until it's just this giant raging gadol that's like bearing down on everyone. And then it's sort of like the it's very I mean, speaking of like American film, it actually is very similar. The The final conflict is very similar to a common thing that happens in um, I guess it maybe happens in kaiju movies also, but it, it definitely happens in like American Kind of like this uh, yeah, I don't know, sci-fi movies, disaster movies, and things, uh, where it's like, okay, the the authorities are going to blow up the area unless you defeat the thing that they are trying to destroy, right? They're going to nuke it. Yeah, yeah, it's like a very common trope, and so they're basically going to nuke the. They're going to like wipe out the entire game mm -hmm. uh, because this this bug is like you know going to cause a huge problem, and it, it's this weird indirect conflict where instead of defeating the system. 
they just have to defeat the thing that is causing the system to want to shut down the game. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, and it just feels like it's got the wrong target. Uh, I was I was thinking about a metaphor for this, like a strange metaphor. But uh, if you're at all familiar with the sort of practice of like lucid dreaming, there's, you know, you can, some people are able to like sort of w- realize they're dreaming in a dream and then they can like, f- I don't know, fly or whatever. You're right, right? yeah. Uh, but sometimes what happens because your brain is stupid is you might like realize you're dreaming, but not fully understand that the dream logic is made up. Yeah. Uh, so like people have documented cases where they like, they're like, I need to catch the train to meet the elephant at the train station. They're like, oh, I'm dreaming. I can fly to meet the elephant. Like, but they don't realize they don't have to do it because it's all made up. Yeah. You don't have to meet the elephant at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it it feels almost like that where it's like, it's, they've half woken up. Like the show is half woken up to like, okay, we got to defeat the system. But like, oh no, but actually we still have to play the game. We we can't like abolish the game. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they, they went that route at all. Did the, was the spaceship destroyed completely? The cyborg spaceship at the end? No. Just the lab. No, I think it just gets, the, the spaceship gets damaged by like the sort of laser that the Gadol shoots, which is, that was a scene that I thought was really cool and like was, uh, just a one-off thing that I thought should have been, again, like done more often or explored in more detail. The idea that the game Something in the game could damage the control center of the game. Yeah, right. That this, I think it would have been NPC interesting could shoot if they would have that blew up the control center. Yeah, I think it would have been in- interesting if they would have committed to that fully and like had the rogue Gattle just destroy it, like the yeah. like the product of their their hubris. You're right. Just went rogue and just like destroyed them completely, and then the wreckage falls down, and the humans and the remaining like cyborgs eke out an existence after that. Like, why not? They do kind of a wrap up at the end too, for like, where are they now? And um, I don't know. Uh, I guess Natsume is living her best life, but it, it kind of felt like she just started her own business. Yeah, she did. She she be- so this part is cool, uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't. The reason why they get there is not cool yeah Uh, there's no explanation of how the system was overthrown or why our heroes are now in charge of it yeah but i guess they've designed a new version of the game that felt like a very strange hand wave yeah uh but the new version of the game is actually very cool and it's like it's not about conflict anymore it is a like it's a bunch of sort of separate games mixed into one it is like a a farming simulator and uh you can go on these like adventures and natsume is basically a tour guide that takes the cyborgs out on excursions yeah yeah it's kind of touristy actually is what it reminds me of you know like people go to hawaii you can hire someone to like take you on a hike up to go see something like nature that's kind of what it reminded me of yeah, and the Gadol have become these like pets, and you can they, they say you can like raise one as a pet, so it's it's like a you know a pet simulator. Yeah. So that that part, I think, from a game perspective, is actually really cute because it it to me mirrors the way that a lot of game devs and players have in recent years been like, well, why does everything have to be that you kill things? Yeah. Like, why is everything a first person games? shooter? Stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like the game itself evolves to be like, okay, now it's these non-violent ways of having fun yeah. where you are actually doing it in cooperation with the NPCs, right? And they are actually living happy lives and you're just a sort of tourist, like you said, who comes in and plays with them. Mm-hmm. So like that stuff is that stuff is pretty cool, actually. Like I, 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 that's something I think, again, should have, it just felt like this needed more time to build up to that, to understand like what is the philosophy of these characters that leads to that conclusion as opposed to it just being a hand wave right at the end. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there's definitely like I, I thought that that conclusion was was cute in that everyone you know was was mostly happy and they they kind of had repurposed things, but there are still like a lot of questions left over. Like you said, like where do the cyborgs live now? Like did they right? You know, did they take down the the spaceship and like or what? I mean, because it was. I think also leading up to that, I, that maybe we skipped over when they were talking about um, closing down the game is that they, they thought that the humans had basically uh, overpopulated. So like the hub where the humans were living right. at, they thought that they had like overgrown it and they needed to do some population control. So they were also just trying to do like a culling of sorts. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like it really doesn't address something that I think is common in these kinds of like dystopian stories about, you know, characters who overthrow the dystopia. I'm thinking specifically of of one that I recently rewatched, which I guess I'm going to vaguely spoil here uh, of uh, Snowpiercer. Oh, right? OK. I've, I've been meeting to watch that, but I'm not going to like talk about all the details. But Snowpiercer's ending does a, the sort of common thing that you see in these stories where the characters are fighting for some kind of like freedom. Right. But but it kind of turns out that it's you know, it is the you're kind of fighting for like enough rope to hang yourself with mm. because mm -hmm. The freedom means like the freedom to screw up, right? And like the the abusive system is self-sustaining, but it's horrifically immoral, right? Right. And so like the, in this case, it's like the culling will keep humans alive as a species, but will involve like murdering tons of them right. for no real good reason. Uh, so like the and the interesting question there is like it, it's the question for any revolution, right? It's like, well, OK, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to solve this problem? And it doesn't mean that it's not solvable, but it, that's that's the problem. Like, I say this as someone who is, you know, anti-capitalist. It's like that is the the question for anti-capitalist is like, well, how do we want to run it? Right. Because then it then it's on us. We then have the responsibility to figure out the better way to do it. Right. Because if the overlords are gone and they're no longer trying to make sure that, you know, this this small section of humanity survives so that the game can continue as planned, then that means it now befalls on the surviving right. quote unquote NPCs to figure out how to feed a whole population. I mean, they never talk about that in particular, like as far as right. like food resources and things like that. So I don't, well, no, they do because I mean, there's a butcher. So I, I have to mm -hmm. assume like within decadence, there was maybe like a farming community of some kind that was making like doing agricultural stuff and raising uh, animals to eat and things like that but you know I thought they were, were they butchering gadol i don't think so maybe okay. i'm not sure um the gadol like disappeared really weird when they managed to like start killing oh, them off yeah. too and i was like well wait like they physically existed though right anyway but there was a they did establish that there was like a butcher shop because that's where may worked in butchering and like that there were other sort of like little factions like construction and stuff like that that uh, the humans had taken up but if you do, you know if their population isn't being controlled anymore um it's going to continue to grow and they're going to have to continue to meet the requirements so for all of them to continue to live um i still think it's the right thing over having right. weird robots like just kill you off for fun but yeah they're going to have to I solve a lot of the, problems that's the tension that's the tension of of that kind of ending which i think is interesting is like yeah it is the right thing but it's it's hard yeah. right it's hard work to figure it out once you do it mm -hmm. yeah and I thought it didn't feel like there was any hard work going on. It was just a sort of like, well, and then everybody's happy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we're, we're just about done here. But I do want to address uh, we didn't really talk about um, kind of the some of like the characterization going on on the cyborg side. Uh -huh. because I think that's actually like that was actually a pretty fun part of it is like you get to know some of these cyborg characters and 
uh, frankly, some of them are like more interesting than than some of like the human. Yeah, characters. yeah. There's the drunk. There's the drunk like layabout guy yeah. who, um, you know, just wants to have a good time and has mostly resigned himself to his situation. There's this sleazy one that works for the system that will sell anybody out to get ahead. And then there's like the super buff one who's kind of running a gang within the prison. And then there's Jill. I like him a lot. Yeah. Jill, the best. Can we agree? Yeah, yeah. Jill's great. (laughs) Her hair, man. I wonder Uh, what the thought process was on her hair. She looks like a minion. Yes. She looks like a minion. A minion in a clown wig. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's okay. So there's so much that's great about her character design. Like you said, she's got like sort of clown wig. She has one eye. She has glasses, but just a single frame. Yeah. Is it a monocle if you only have one eye? I don't know. (laughs) But it's not a monocle because it's actually, it has, it doesn't have the arms on both sides of the glasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, just a great, like, really goofy looking design. And she's voiced, uh, I'm not looking at the name of the actor right now, but voiced by the same actor as um, Susie in Little Witch Academia. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she has that same kind of um, morose sounding, you know. Kind of like, over like, it. Uninterested. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's she's got like a, she's interesting as a character. She's probably the most interesting of any of them because as the show goes on, she like gets more, you kind of learn a little more about her and that she has more involvement than she, she knows more than she lets on. Yeah. Right. That she was actually involved in like the early development of decadence. Yeah. You could kind of interpret her as almost like a political prisoner of, sh- of sorts. Like mm-hmm, they probably mm-hmm. stuck her in there because she knows too much and they can't control her. So yeah. And she's kind of got her own, like, again, I, I would, would have loved to know more about it, but you can sense she's got, her own like motives right that she's not necessarily just you know well i want to help kabu and and kabu's like not daughter yeah but but it's also she's like i want to see i want to take this thing down i want to like see what happens yeah 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 she's great i liked her a lot um I also, I also, I think his name was Jarkozy was the drunk one. Sarkozy. Sarkozy. Okay. Yeah. Like I, the French, former French president or whatever. Oh yeah. I didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked him just in that. I mean, he gets the short end of the stick in the show a lot, but I felt like you could kind of understand how he got to where he was and also how people like him get um, taken advantage of. Yeah. You know, cause he didn't. He, he has a good arc because he, he, yeah. he does basically eventually um, he redeems himself and it's he's kind of like he's an idiot. Yeah. And he's kind of, you know, he's been taken advantage of and he doesn't he doesn't see himself as being like able to do anything good. And he does a pretty bad thing in the show, well, you know, as he's being taken advantage of. But I think it's a it's an interesting arc of someone who's kind of weak, but like yeah. finds strength at, in the end. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he's kind of got the typical like um, the fool sort of. Mm hmm. Uh, personality about him and his place in the in the show but yeah he does get to redeem himself by the end but i think he also kind of he kind of illustrates a a larger point too yeah yeah that's true uh i'll shout out one design that's very interesting in terms of uh tachikawa's interest in western cg animation he also mentioned wreck it ralph as a reference yeah for probably like sort of like world hopping ideas uh, did you notice that there's the the two cyborgs that are kind of like running the game? They're like the sort of technicians. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they have these funny scenes where they're like, you know, on the controls being like, oh, no, something's going wrong. We got to fix it. Uh, one of them is like the red one who like looks really mad. Uh, oh, right, right. He, like from inside out. 
For yeah, anger for is that the name of the character? The the angry one from Inside Out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just yeah, the personification of anger. Yeah. Looks exactly like him. Yes. I, was, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of little like, well, the, I felt like the cyborg designs were very in line with like American cartoons in general, too. Like, yeah, I forget if I mentioned that earlier, but that he actually said that was intentional. Yeah. To try to uh, make it. He wanted the the kind of Western capitalist side of the world to be animated like a Western animation. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, let's do we have some questions. So let's answer the questions and then we'll do kind of final thoughts and, and then we'll get out of here. OK. First question is well first question i think i should have answered earlier but uh <laughs> final fury k uh tom uh who is a patron says uh, i made it to the twist but fell off after that uh, i'm assuming it's worth it to pick up again but can you sell me on it so i guess we, we sort of did that in the pre-spoiler section yeah we did um you should watch the show tom go watch the yeah show. but i think <laughs> i think for anybody who is like I think there are probably people who don't care about spoilers who are listening right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you watched, I would re highly recommend watch the first two episodes before deciding whether you want to keep watching it, mm -hmm. uh, because that's like where you don't, you don't get the full show until you do that. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, I think if you find the world interesting from the first two, it's, it's worth it to check it out. I think it's a little disappointing, but if, if you're the sort of person who can find enjoyment in sort of exploring a thing, even if it's a little flawed, then I, I think it is worth checking out. But I, I don't I didn't enjoy it, I think, as much as Lindsay did. <laughs> and yeah, I guess you would say definitely check it yeah, out. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think. Yeah, I think people should watch it for sure. I think it's a I think it, it's a fun ride, even if it doesn't uh, nail all of its thesis. Mm -hmm. And uh, another one of our patrons, uh, we, we prioritize questions from uh, people who give at least $5 on our Patreon. At sign Inazel on Twitter asks, uh, or it says, he's got a whole thing here. I loved it. It was uh, I was good with the ending because I like a happy ending. I think changing into a cohesive unit where both robots and humans benefit was great. Compromise is so much better than conflict. Okay, I, I I mean, yeah, I agree in this in this uh, situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two questions: Would you drink Sark's liquor? No, Sarkozy. No, <laughs> I don't drink, so I would not. And I just look, ignoring the fact that I don't drink, I would drink it if I didn't know it was made from shit. But once I know it's made from shit, yeah, it's not you happening. can't you can't do that. No. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fermented poop inside of an old rusty robot. I uh, no, no. Yeah, no. Appreciate the offer, but no thanks. And he wants us to debate the best girl. Okay, well, I mean, we got if some... If you answer anything besides Jill, you're wrong, so... Okay, well, first, hmm, first, uh, Jill, I think, is um, arguably best, but, I mean, I really, really like Natsume, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put her above Jill for me. They're both great, but Jill wins for me, but then Natsume <laughs> is number two, so... Is it the design that does it, or is it the personality? It's look. I really like Susie, so it's really hard to beat. Oh, just separate by the same voice actor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just like the I like the personality. The design is pretty good, but yeah. it's just uh, I like that personality and the voice actor. I like that kind of character who's sort of uh, yeah, like you said, kind of over it. Yeah, right? yeah. But but kind of slyly is like still still invested a little bit, right? She still wants to to change things. Yeah. 
Yeah. So she's not so ar- over it that she's like heartless to the plights of others, obviously. Right, right, right. Yeah. She's not jaded. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, of, of <laughs> she's the, the kind of people that I, I tend to, uh, I tend to hang out with and stuff in, in politics. People who yeah. are kind of like they're jaded at a certain level, but they're also kind of like they're still, they still want to change stuff. Mm-hmm. They're still a little bit in, you know, they're still invested enough to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think we'll, we'll do this last one from a non patron, uh, at sign Chef Lubu on Twitter. How do you feel about how anime, the anime handled ableism? So that uh, we'll focus on that part of the question here. I think that's that's yeah. worth talking about. You yeah. mentioned it before. Um, yeah, I saw that question when it came in on Twitter too. I think it's a really good question. Um, I am first. I'm I'm not a disabled person physically, so I want to preface that. So this is only sort of my take from it from that point of view. It's not as valuable as someone who um, deals with disability. But I did think that they gave a nuanced view of some of the issues that disabled people might face just when you have a a physically visible disability and how that can be feel stifling or limiting because of the expectations that other people put on you. Um, So I I appreciated that. I don't think I'd really seen that before, even though I've seen other anime with uh, disabled characters in it before. Um, I hadn't really seen that aspect delved into before. Yeah, I also thought it was it was pretty good. Like most things in the show, I would have liked to see even more uh, focus on it, uh, and not like in a in a way of like boohoo. She is missing her arm, right? Right, like that. Th- that was one of the things I thought was great. Is it didn't really do that. Like she is not pity feeling really. bad for herself. Right, like, not, you're not supposed to pity her. Yeah, uh, she's just frustrated that. And this is a thing. I'm also not disabled, but but you hear this all the time from people with disabilities, right? Like the frustration is that the world is is getting in her way. Yes, right? not that her lack of an arm is getting in her way. Right, not it's not a it's not the result of, you know, her being unable to do the things that she wants physically. And it's not the result of, um, or right. It's, it's, as you said, it's people putting their expectations on her of not being able to do things and then telling her she can't when she feels like she can. Yeah. That is a surprisingly rare take on disability in media. Yeah. Uh, but it, it actually conforms with like, I mean, I, I do work with like accessibility in my job. So like, one of the things that I often explain to clients is that uh, certain definitions of like modern de- definitions of disabilities uh, from, I think, like the, the World Health Organization and things are not based on they're not just like, oh, this is a physical condition that a person has. A, a disability is a mismatch between the, something the person wants to do and uh, their both like their their own physical uh, abilities and like the world around them and the environment. As far as accommodations to, them. to help them achieve yeah. the things that they want. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. It's like it, it talk it that illuminates the fact that like disability only manifests when we fail to accommodate people for just their various like diverse abilities. Right. And right? We, we actually see this in the show a little bit, too, because the prosthetic that Natsume starts with is not the prosthetic that she ends with. Her, her initial yeah. prosthetic has uh, uh, three digits on it only and is sort of like rounded and rather bulky. And it does look cool, though. Yes, it does. And But Kabu is actually the one who, instead of seeing it, I think this is what bonds the characters mm-hmm. together quite a bit. Yeah. Kabu's the one who's like, oh, this could actually be an advantage because we could put the uh, the the gear that they use to shoot the Gatol with. We could just attach that right to your arm then. You don't even have to hold it and stuff like with your um, with your hand like we would be expected to do. So he gets her outfitted with a new um, updated prosthetic that ends up making her 
a great asset in he says it's this isn't your weakness it's your weapon yes it's like a great line and and yes. again like something that i i always kind of see and, and just connects to like my my work with accessibility is uh there is an assumption from people who, who don't have disabilities that it's like oh well this will just make people's lives harder but like when you have and sometimes it does right but, mm-hmm. but when you have uh when when you have like proper accommodations uh, oftentimes people with disabilities will be like more effective than people <laughs> without disabilities, right. right? Like, like screen readers can sometimes help people like read, uh, you know, something on their computer or navigate something like even more effectively right. than right. someone not using a screen reader. Yep. So yeah, that's, that, that stuff is really cool. And I mean, I would, I would have, I wish there was like more time to go into even more of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's a great, like, she's a very strong character, uh, in terms of like how, how she like works through that stuff. Again, like she's not being pitied which is what I would be so afraid of. Yeah, this kind of yeah thing. me too. Yeah, I'd love to, hey, if anyone wants to, to pitch to me, <laughs> send mm. me an email because I'd love to read an editorial or publish an editorial about um, a disabled person's view on that characterization. I think that'd be great reading. I'd love to read that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious too if there are things that we are missing yes, as, yeah. as yeah, non-disabled people because uh, sometimes that does happen, right? There, right, might, be, there might be some ableism that we are not seeing in there. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's do some quick final thoughts and then we will get out of here. So, Lindsay. Yes. Uh, decadence. Yes or no? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things I, I could very easily pull from the season and tell you no, like the last season right. of Food Wars. But in this case, yes, decadence. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's, uh, I always appreciate something that, that, you know, shoots for the stars. And I think that decadence does not totally get there, but it explores so many interesting ideas. You you may have noticed the number of times in this episode that I have said like, man, this thing was so cool. I wish there was more of it. Yeah. So like a lot of my issue is just being disappointed that, that it, it gives you so much to think about and so much to look forward to and then doesn't deliver on enough of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still just like so much more ambitious. And even the stuff that it does do is, is pretty interesting compared to a lot of unambitious anime that's out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I would I would recommend people check it out. I didn't really talk too much about the animation, but there is a fair amount of pretty good uh, action and, and character animation in this that's also worth checking out uh, visually. Like the cyborgs are super interesting, and that's like that's a reason to check it out. Yeah, there's some really good facial expressions and stuff going on in it too. However, we talked about how great Mob Psycho 100 looks. This does not look as no. good as that. No. Like this is not the sort of like movie level animation every episode. Right. The way that right. Mob Psycho is. Just in case people are sort of comparing, you know, yeah, expecting. It- it because it's the same director. Yeah, it's the same director, but it's not the entire entirely same team. It's not the same studio. Right, like right. That. Yeah. Yeah, that Mob Psycho team is like that is a particular group of people that is and a particular producer who brought them together that is very difficult to bring together consistently on projects. It's a lot of the people who worked on like the first One Punch Man season. Yeah. So you're not gonna get that lightning in a bottle every time. No, yeah. <laughs> All right, so that is Decadence. Thank you, Lindsay, for helping me review it. Before we head out, where can people find you, Lindsay? Oh my gosh, if you if you if you want to find me, I mean, I'm mostly on Anime News Network. In that, I mean, I'm everywhere, all over that website. But if for some reason you want more of me, uh, ugh, that sounded weird. If you want to find me, <laughs> if you want more Lindsay content, I'm on Twitter at ann underscore Lindsay, and I still post about anime stuff there, but also politics and and stuff if you feel like you need to see all my angry raging into the void and you can also find me on anime news network's youtube facebook and twitch streams because i'm a streamer now i guess (laughs) don't know how that happened (laughs) 
Well, you're in good company. Uh, my my regular co-host, who's currently on break from the podcast, David, has his own stream, twitch.tv slash uwusmallbean, which I haven't promoted Ooh, on here in a little small bit. He, Does he have cats? He's not back... He's not back on the podcast yet, but he is back on the the Bean stream. So uh, go check him <laughs> out there. Uh, I sometimes write for Anime News Network, actually, uh, yeah. as well as Otaku USA magazine. I think the last one I did for ANN was the one about. Uh, it was a spicy one. Guests. Yeah, it was the uh, uh, why conventions uh, don't have or well, it was how many black guests are like being invited to to anime conventions, yeah. right? And it was the know, answer was, was in not enough to some claims that like there are oh well the fans don't want them which uh, i don't gross think <laughs> yeah. that's not why yeah yeah uh we have a patreon for anti gamers support us on patreon.com slash gamers to get into the priority question list and access bonus articles and podcasts because i am recording this pretty early uh we we don't have the next set of new patrons to thank but i think by next episode uh we will have have that list of of new folks who signed up recently uh but yeah check check out the patreon uh we have one dollar and five dollar tiers uh, $5 gets you access to all of the, the full back catalog of bonus content. And you get a one-time use golden ticket where you can force us to review one uh, subject of your choosing. Pretty dangerous. Uh, and we, we did hit our $100 goal. So we will be pretty soon starting our new uh, column, which Inc. is running called Mystery Box of Misery, in which he will inflict various... DVDs from blind boxes that he bought on our contributors and our patrons, including $1 patrons, will get to choose which DVDs get inflicted on which contributors. <laughs> that sounds like fun. We are just, our entire Patreon is just about like finding new and innovative ways for our patrons to make us suffer. <laughs> well, that's one way to market yourselves, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Anigamers Discord on anigamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anigamers.com anytime. Or talk to me on Twitter. I'm at sign vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. Anigamers is at sign anigamers, one word. I'm on Mastodon at vamptvo at mastodon.social. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And uh, leave us some extra reviews to help more people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Lindsay, for joining me. Yeah, anytime. And we'll see you all again in about two weeks. Later. Bye. Bye.